All right. All right, everybody. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 32. I don't have much room here. I'm going to do this. There we go. This is not on video, so I think we're okay. Um, so while you're opening, while I'm opening, um, tell you a little bit about the psalm. Um, I chose this psalm on confession. Last time I, I preached to, uh, well, the high school, it was all high school, right? It wasn't just boys, uh, on forgiveness. So this kind of is a companion to that. Um, so let me uh, open this up in prayer. Lord, we welcome you amongst us tonight and celebrate the gift that you've given us of life. And we ask that you would open our ears so that we may hear your voice and the witness testimony of David written long ago. Uh, open our minds to the wisdom that you inspired, David. Um, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me uh, read the psalm. It's called, Blessed are the Forgiven, Maskell of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, but not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Praise God. Um, so, I, I, again, I chose this uh, psalm for us to focus on tonight. And um, this psalm, like other psalms, is filled with words of, of lament, you know, sorrow, or, or and praise, and faith, and uh, even hope in God through Christ, as we know it to be in the New Testament. Um, the psalm is known to be one of seven uh, penitential psalms in, the books, in, in all the books of Psalms. Uh, penitential meaning having sorrow or regret for something. Like, for example, if you did something wrong and you felt bad about it, you would be expressing penitence for what you did. Um, the most familiar penitential psalm 
is Psalm 51, which has been nicknamed the Sinner's Guide. I found uh, many commentators to connect Psalm 51 with this psalm, um, because it, it uh, because Psalm 32 reveals that God does indeed grant David's prayer, um, prayer for for in, uh, request of or pleading for forgiveness. Uh, but there's no clear indication that that these two are connected as, as that, that he wrote 51 after after, his, after sinning and then wrote Psalm 32. But still, Psalm 51 is definitely a companion uh, of Psalm 32. Um, so just to tell you a little bit about Psalm 51, just to kind of get it, get us there on this journey. Um, psalm 51 is a confessional psalm. Um, and Psalm 32 is more of David's, um, what did I learn after confessing? Uh, it's a prayer of repentance, Psalm 51 that is. After the prophet Nathan confronted him about his sins, uh, David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then covered and tried to cover it up. Um, so it's a witness testimony of the dar- of his darkest moments um, uh, and of self-awareness that he went through. And he acknowledged he acknowledged the depth of, of the sins that he committed, and, and he pleaded God for mercy. So that's Psalm 51. So Psalm 32 encourages us. The ones reading, the ones listening right now, um, to confess our sins before God, so that we can not just receive God's forgiveness, but experience it. Based on David's experience in Psalm 32, he tells us that we should have no fear in revealing uh, the darkest parts of ourselves to God. He wants us as believers to rejoice and sing songs to the God who responds to their confessed sins and unfailing love. The lifting of guilt and the songs of deliverance. So the outline in front of you has uh, I made five points. Um, let's get started. Uh, first point is, uh, blessed is the person who is forgiven. So these verses are talking about a freedom for from forgiveness. Um, he says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Right? Uh, so this statement is a, a, so this is a statement, it's a, it's a declaration, right at the beginning. So it's just the way, you know, these, these poems, if you will, were, were written, it's like a chorus, right at the beginning. Uh, and I want to point out to you, right, right here from the start, uh, and tie it in with the New Testament, uh, that these two verses are cited in Romans 4, 7, and 8. Um, I'd like to actually read that to you. I considered not doing that, but... um, Romans 4, 7, and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So the Apostle Paul picks up on this passage when describing justification by faith. And so, in following Paul's teachings, 
the only way for you to have your transgressions forgiven is to have your sins covered. Or in other words, you, you receive freedom from, your, from the guilt, freedom from the sin. But this is through the work of Jesus Christ. That's what the New Testament says about becoming blessed. This is how we receive. This is how we get to verses one and two in mind. Um, so that's the question. How do you get to the point of being blessed? The Apostle Paul would say, "Just what I said. Um, it's only through the justification work of Jesus Christ." Um, so here in the Psalm, it's not giving you that kind of clarity. It's not saying it that way. Justification by faith is not laid out clearly in this passage, but this is still the same gospel message. So, back to the psalm. I want to draw your attention to three synonym words that uh, you'll find in this in these two verses. Um, synonym words for sin, and the first one being sin. Second one, transgression and iniquity. I, I, I wrote them out on your outlines. I think it's important to know the differences, though all of them are sin. Sin is what happens when you violate God's law. Probably could have guessed that one, right? So the word sin means to violate God's law. Transgression is the act of violating that law or command. Iniquity is the, the dirt that lives in you when you've when you've engaged in sin by transgressing God's law. It's the weight, right? It's, it's what, you're, what you're carrying, the consequences, the burden. All three of these things cause a separation in our relationship with God. The psalmist David says here that we are blessed, not because we are righteous, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. Of somebody else, right? Because it, it, we're righteous because our sins are forgiven, is what he's what he's saying. It comes from our guilt being removed by somebody else, not just by not just that we got our lives together or, or got smarter or worked harder. So that's a strong two verses here. You know, as I said, it's like a, almost like a chorus. You can. Keep going back to verses 1 and 2. Um, so to quote some commentary, or so moving down to verses uh, 3 and 4, um, quote some commentary, he, he talks about this and says, the festering sore of sin is discussed by David in verses 3 and 4. So this is where now we're like deep into uh, confession, and what he felt. Um, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He says here, When I kept silent, that is not confessing his sin, his bones wasted away. So some people will, will read this and um, think it's like a figurative speech um, but this happens to a lot of us I think uh, when we hold something in that we feel guilty about our bodies do start to break down 
you might have experiences yourself. So what David is saying here, I think, is real. He felt something, a physical pain on the inside. He was groaning about it. He denied and ignored his sin, and his failure to repent and confess caused physical pain. Verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of the summer or by the heat of the summer. <clears throat> so this starts with the word for, which means that there's a path. Um, there's a path that leads to back to verses 1 and 2. That, that happy, rested, freedom state that he talked about. Also shows us that there's lessons Lessons that he must have learned from hiding the sin. It points me to Proverbs 28:13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. It's a direct message, like uh, most most of the proverbs. And in so many words, it's saying, "You want to get caught." It's not going to end well. But if you confess it, forsake it, very likely, very common even, that you'll receive mercy from even other people. And here we find that we receive mercy and forgiveness from God. But notice how the spiritual uh, inner man is affected by what his outer self is doing. So we read he, his bones wasted away. He was groaning. His strength dried up. And the key verse here is that the Lord's hand was heavy on him. This is that, that weight, that weightiness of sin and the weightiness of, of his guilt. We do the same. We, we, we keep sin bottled up, right? We don't want people to know the worst about us. We, we hope, we even try, you know, I can confess. We try and we think, well, I'll do better. But without confessing it to the Lord, every one of us is vulnerable. That these sins will weigh us down. And David speaks of this heavy weight of the hand the Lord coming down on him. You, th you think of that, that that hand that he's talking about. The, the, and I think of like a police officer, somebody who just has this authority. And they put their hand on your shoulder and you instantly start, at least for me, my guilty conscience, I say, what, did I do anything? It's, like, it's just on you. Because you don't even know this person, but they, they have this uniform and they represent law, authority. So this weightiness of, of the Lord's hand is, is is on him. He has a relationship with God. He knows better. He knows what God's capable of and he knows what he is in him. I would even go as far as saying that. 
Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Here we have full confession with full forgiveness. He uses the same three words, right? You see it? It says sin, iniquity, transgression. This is full confession. It's not like a confession of saying something like, God, I messed up, but you know, you forgive anyway, so just, it's what you do, right? Just forgive me. He's telling him the sin he, did, he committed, telling him the act, and even, and even the weight. Oh, Lord, I, I messed up, and now I'm grounded. Forgive me, Lord. Right? This is full confession. So he's saying, I am acknowledging my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I confess my transgressions. Completely vulnerable. Giving himself to the Lord. What God calls us to do. Showing us that we need to stop and slow down when confessing. It's not just like, okay, well now what? Alright, so yeah, I, you know, cussed at the dinner table. Forgive me. Now what? It's like, no. What made you think it was alright? Where did you get that from? Where, where, where did it come from? Rather than just, Lord, I messed up, so just forgive me. It might, it might even be a genuine ask. An ask for mercy. But here, David gives us a pattern of what he learned. Like a, like a road map. This is, this is the way I went. But he's showing us by example. And when he found mercy is when he slowed down to think about all the wrong he did. That's where he found mercy. That's where, that's where the Lord's hand is like, this is what I want you to understand. So this is full confession. And it's met with full forgiveness. Notice in verse 5 that as soon as he gives full confession, God forgives him. It's awesome. It's <laughs> something that there's no hesitation. God has open arms. I think we should feel encouraged and relieved that it's not like an act of punishment. It's not like, no, 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 you did this. Now you now you got to start walking on your knees you know, through the freeway or something crazy like that or... Um, or, or even just, you know, this is this is what you do out of discipline. You confess. Um, no. In fact, when you uncover your sin, that's where God meets you. What I've been talking about that. That's where God meets you with open arms, with mercy, forgives you. He doesn't leave you there. We should all be encouraged to bring our sin to the light. Because the danger is that sin loves the darkness. So what do you think is happening? It's just rotting away just like what David did. 
We're keeping silent about it. This is not so much to um, confess to one another. That that does take time. It takes trust. But confess, confess to the Lord. Confess in prayer. Confess and seek counsel. You know, from people discipling you, maybe your parents, friends that you can trust. And, and conf- the confidence does come when the Spirit's with you. That you can open up about things that you're ashamed about. So again, just to drill it in, verse 5, full confession is met with full forgiveness. Next point down, uh, you will preserve me from trouble. Verses six and eight. Um, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. This is a call to everyone to pray to God while the opportunity is here. Go freely to him. When disaster comes, such as death, sickness, or maybe something more drastic like floods, earthquakes, if you're driving, broken down car, check engine lights, (laughs) like all these things, um, if you're not careful, you might feel as though God's not available. He's not available for these things. Is that true? Of course. Of course not. He's always ready and willing to rescue a repentant sinner. The problem that we all have, I think, um, or that we tend to have, I should say, is that we fail to pray during good times. So it makes it that much harder to pray during bad times. So the message here is, um, yeah, pray and let him fill you with hope. He goes on to say in the first half of verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. Here David experiences God as a great defender and protector. He experiences God as a hiding place. A safe place. A place where he can feel secure. And God preserves him through it. Or, or if you will, protects him when there is trouble. Doesn't mean there won't be trouble. But he protects you through it. He guards guards your thoughts. You will surround me with songs of deliverance. I mean, we just got done singing. Um, man, what a gift it is to have worship music. It's something I, I didn't 
in, you know, nine years ago, I would have never thought I would take part in. Um, but I, but I have, in my walk in faith, learned to depend on it even. Depend on him through worship music. It's a way to get out of your own thoughts. You know, we come in distracted with the world and sometimes full of sorrow and hurt and pain. It's like, I don't feel like being here. Start singing. So there are uh, times when we need that same relief that David's talking about here. He desperately needed relief from feeling rotten. Uh, got a little ahead of myself. <laughs> but often, um, yeah. So David needs to be rescued. And one of the gifts that God gives us is that he surrounds us with songs of deliverance. Um, yeah, it, it's one of the ways that God holds us, you know. Just, just a, a real gift. Um, it, it lit- worship music literally puts uh, words of love, trust, and encouragement in your mouth when you, you don't even know what to say. Or like sometimes even testimonies just up there on the screen or in your hidden old book. Uh, it's one of the ways that God picks you up and, and sets you back in the right path when your mind is wandering or too tired to stumble out of that ditch of sorrow or anger. You know, I'll tell you guys about a um, member in my community group um, who was diagnosed, you know, with a terminal illness. Um, you know, it, it really, it's really shocking. It's a, you know, it's this bomb that went off in our community group. And, you know, we don't know how much time he's going to have here on, on, you know, with us. But I'm so inspired that he it sits there and stands with us and sings with us. Um, I, I think it encourages us all. Just proof of the Spirit just with us. And it's like, wow. I can't imagine what what's going what's going through his mind, you know. The Lord gives us this gift. David witnesses this to us here that he needs this protection. And so he asked God to surround me with songs of deliverance. Verse 8. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, w- I was hung up on this. I was even talking to Luke about it. Um, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Um, it's actually verse, verses 8 and 9 that I was caught up on. Um, because of the sudden switch. It's like you're reading the switch in who's speaking. It's like you're reading it, reading this psalm, and all of a sudden, boom, God is talking. It's like David is praying, and God is just instructing us. It's like, I, I, I almost wanted to, I just wanted to see proof. Is that what I'm seeing? Is this, is this God talking to me? 
Like, I, I just, um, it caught me off guard. Uh, but I didn't find that that clear, um, at least in commentary that I read, uh, that I looked up. There wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot on the subject. Um, and, and in fact, the ones I did find were just different different opinions. Some saying it is and some saying it's not. But none of that, um, neither opinion changes the truth, right? Uh, or meaning or application of the verses. So I just wanted to share with, you know, uh, give you some of the misery I had in <laughs> just trying to dive into this psalm. Uh, I will share with you, though, uh, that uh, I found a quote from R.C. Sproul on it, and so I'll take his word for it. Uh, he said, God speaking in verses 8, through nine of Psalm 32 is something you should you should expect in the Psalms. This is guided by God's own inspiring will, and that was it. I, I wanted to read more, and there was just nothing else on it. Um, so that's where I, I made my piece on it, and I moved on. So God, <clears throat> so back to the verse, back to these verses. God is promising to teach His people. He promises to guide and direct us, and we should depend on his guidance. He is using it here in a way to instruct us on a, on a righteous way of living. Verse 9. Don't be like the horse or mule. Um, yeah, reading the verse. Don't be like the horse or mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So where's where's my horse riders? I don't think any of them are here. Faith, Carly. Oh, okay, there you go. You're a horse rider too? Okay, I, I'm not. So I had to look it up, what a bit was and a bridle. <laughs> so a bit is literally a metal rod that goes right in the horse's mouth. And it, and it doesn't quite hit the, the, the sides of their mouth. And, and the bridles, you know, what's attached to it. And, and so when they, you know, want the horse to turn left, I guess, or turn right, they, they pull on the, on the bit. And it just kind of tells the horse, okay, I know where to go. Or I know where I need to go. Um, the horse and the mule are limited in many ways, really. Uh, for one, they have no understanding. For another, they refuse to obey unless controlled by bit and bridle. Or even Proverbs 26.3 talks about a whip. But just throwing that out there. So the message is clear here. Don't be like a dumb mule. <laughs> this is the command. And, and again, R.C. Sproul said it. It's from God. <laughs> all from God, right? This is a, this is a command. Don't, don't be like a mule without understanding that, that you need bit and bridle, you know, that you need to suffer, that you need discipline, you know, in the, you know, in order to, whoa, lost my page. Um, in order to do the right thing or, or, or to, or to worship or to honor your parents or to do your homework with, you know, you name it. Don't be like the mule. Come to the Lord. 
God wants his people to come willingly and obey gladly. Knowing that God's will for them is always good. If you've taste if you've tasted it, if you've got that relationship with God through Christ, you'll know it. There is there is no um, I'm not I'm not sure. It's It's a, a satisfying satisfaction that you know you're not living for yourself, you're living for your king. This is saying, come to God freely. Protection with direction is what God wants us to have. What he wants to give us. In Colossians 3.16, we read that care with counsel is what we get in coming to him through Christ. Um, Moving down. uh, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. So here again is a promise of protection. Many Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord are surrounded By the love of God. He writes out the differences in the fate of the wicked versus the fate of those who trust the Lord. The wicked person suffers sorrow, while the faithful experience God's loving kindness. Um, I was hesitant in this, but I wanted to use a Hebrew word. Hesed is the one that, that I feel like it keeps coming up. So I thought, well, loving kindness, right? That's one of the meanings that I that I found it means. So it it the word comes to mind when, when reading this verse. Um, it, it also means kindness, uh, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, love. So God has demonstrated his hesed, or loving kindness, by his faithful loyalty to his promises. Verse 11. Rejoice, you who are righteous. This verse is a call for celebration. It concludes the psalm with an encouragement for praise compared to those who stubbornly refuse to admit their sin receiving forgiveness of sin not only results uh, in an immediate restoration of our relationship with God but it also gives reasons for us to celebrate so um, I'm not finished. It's a longer conclusion, which I'm making great time. (laughs) Praise God. Uh, But a few questions that I'm giving us here uh, to end with. 
Are you confessing your sin? This is a requirement from God because he wants us to hate our sin. Simple as that. It's not just, yes, God, we're all sinners. Just take it back. Take it off. Right? Just forgive me. Um, it, it's, it is the reality of hating your sin to the point that you reject it. That's what forsaken is. You're rejecting it. Like, like it's something that disgusts you. So God requires this as like a prerequisite for his forgiveness. God requires you and me to confess our sins to receive his forgiveness. But why do you think? Why do you think that God asked this of us? That's something I also thought about the longest, I think, in preparing this. It's because every sin is an insult to God. Like a slap in his face. So we need to hate the sin with disgust. It affects our king. God's work in us is not just to overlook our sin and say, okay, well, go, go back to doing what you were doing. But it's to change us from being sinners. Make us more like Christ. I think this is why there's this requirement. Second question. What's so blessed about having our transgression forgiven? I think we forget what it's like um, to have guilt lifted from us. I'm convinced that... um, when we fear sin and the consequences, that's when we are grateful for the prize of forgiveness. If you don't feel afraid, that is about being forgiven by God, it's only to be assumed that you won't be excited, that you won't be grateful about being forgiven, ever, really. The backdrop, you know, you don't have one here, but it's sin and hell. That that is like almost like uh, you know we hear about that or we don't maybe we don't hear about it enough. Um, but that that really is what we should fear. Um, I was listening to a pastor named Paul Washer, and he gave a good, um, I thought, a good illustration on this. He said, if you're on a little raft floating in the ocean <laughs> um, and you don't see this 100-foot tidal wave coming at you, you just don't see it for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe it's behind you. <laughs> then you won't kiss the feet of the helicopter that swoops in and, and throws a ladder down, picks you up and flies you off to safety. In fact, you'll probably complain that he didn't do it exactly the way he wanted to be saved. Right? You probably grumble. You have to see the tidal wave coming, or you won't kiss the feet of the pilot. 
And that's what it is. We don't see the sin for what it is. Uh, transgressions. The iniquity built up. We won't kiss the feet of Jesus. We won't need him. We won't depend on him. That's what this message is about here. We need to be reminded of what sins and transgressions we commit in order to appreciate forgiveness. God is rescuing us. He inspired David to write this psalm for us to experience God's forgiveness by way of confessing, to acknowledge our sin so that we hate our sin, so we learn to hate it, understand it. He tells us that he'll preserve us from trouble when we trust in him. And not to be a fool when he's directing us back to him. By telling the helicopter, I don't need it. I'm good on this raft. Um, God's conviction on us can feel uncomfortable. Maybe you think you have time. Say, you know, just a kid right now. Nobody knows. Nobody needs to know. Um, but that uncomfortable feeling, that guilt, that's part of his mercy. Do you know that? That conscience that he gives you? <laughs> Knowing wrong, right from wrong, it's a gift. And when we confront our sin, he'll lead us to repentance, restoration, right? becoming a, a better you than even you can, and even you would have, you know, thought you can be. And I'm not talking about having money and, you know, having a bunch of friends. And I'm, I'm talking about being righteous in the eyes of God, where there is no admission to your sin. Your relationship with God remains distant. So I'll close uh, with this verse uh, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. John says, If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Close this in prayer. Uh, Almighty Father, you speak, and it's done. Uh, we invite you to search us and know us reveal any anxieties or worries that get in the way of us confessing uh, and lead us back to you cleanse our minds and hearts and give us desire for repentance
and genuine worship of you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.